Welcome to the Energy Exchange Season 2, hosted by Internex, your go-to source for content on today's most relevant grid modernization topics that is concise and arms you with actionable intelligence. For more on this episode's topic, download your copy of The Brief, a consolidated document highlighting what you need to know and how you can take action today. Visit internext.com backslash the energy exchange for more. Hello, I'm Sean Morash, a senior consultant with Internex. Ron Chebro was nice enough to hand over the reins of the Energy Exchange podcast for this episode, where we'll be discussing the topic of resiliency in the electric power sector. This topic has been widely discussed for many years. It seemingly came to a head in 2018 as Department of Energy Secretary Rick Perry questioned whether a shift was necessary in evaluating our resource generation mix in light of resiliency and national security. Since then, the topic has seemingly cooled a bit as utilities and other entities consider how to plan for resiliency among their operational worries and general business processes. But there is still that open proceeding at FERC discussing these issues, and the IEEE Smart Grid Society has made resiliency a topic of their webinar series. I'll actually be giving a presentation on September 12th titled A Framework to Quantify Resilience Built from the Customer Perspective. We'll get into some of that in the podcast, but I would first like to mention that I'm very lucky to have joining me on this podcast two smart and influential guys from differing backgrounds. We've got Ryan Haruska joining us from Idaho National Lab and Rob Gramlich joining us from, the, from his office in Bethesda, Maryland. Rob, could you uh, share a bit about your background, especially as it relates to this resiliency topic? Sure. So as you mentioned, I've been at um, FERC. I was uh, there in the chairman's office for four years under Chairman Pat Wood. Uh, during uh, 2001 to 2005, we had a major blackout during that period, as you may remember. Uh, so saw some of the issues up close and personally. My focus has mainly been on wholesale power markets and transmission policy over the years uh, with uh quite a bit of time at the American Wind Energy Association. I was also at PJM back in the late 90s. And I've been following this resilience issue closely uh, for the reasons you mentioned with uh, Department of Energy and FERC putting it on the front burner for national energy policymakers last year or uh, a couple years ago now. So I uh, wrote a report uh, about the topic last year. It's on our Grid Strategies website, and I've been uh, following the issues at the RTO level, the Regional Transmission Organization level, and, and FERC and DOE uh, here in Washington. Awesome. Yeah, that's a ton of background in history, and I, I, I'm not going to mention what I was up to in the 90s, but uh, I think some of our listeners can, can guess that I was I was learning a slightly different thing. Um, Ryan, can can you share a bit of, of your background and, and journey to, to this resiliency podcast? Sure. Uh, yeah, great. Thanks. And first, I wanted to kind of thank you for uh, the opportunity to participate today in today's podcast and looking forward to the discussion. So my journey uh, actually started with my first college course in ecology, where the term resilience was used to describe uh, how well natural systems responded and recovered to disruptive events. Uh, with the you know the the focus on how they uh, improve their capacity to deal with you know future events of of similar uh, scope, uh, but after graduating uh, from college, I I came to the Department of Energy's Idaho National Laboratory. At the time, it was the Idaho National Engineering and Environmental Laboratory, where I. Uh, 
really did a lot of environmental modeling and simulation. But about 10 years ago, I had an opportunity to apply those skills to critical infrastructure, uh, specifically on the topic of infrastructure dependencies, and really haven't looked back since. Uh, more recently, uh, I had a uh, I've been lucky to lead a team of talented folks here at INL developing what we call the All Hazards Analysis Framework. Uh, we term it AHA here internally. Uh, AHA is a system to, to really catalog and evaluate cross-sector dependencies, which we think are extremely important when we're looking at resilience and in infrastructure systems. Um, but what I found interesting is how this term resilience is now in influencing a whole new discipline of infrastructure resilience, uh, taking it out of that ecology standpoint. So I do have to admit, I, I don't believe that infrastructure systems themselves are, are resilient by themselves, but really, well, and the reason I say that is that, that I've never seen a damaged system rebuild itself, but resilience comes when we, we wrap in the operational planning and business ecosystems around those physical infrastructures. So with that, that's kind of uh, how I came to be on this podcast, I believe. Now, I want to unpack every every point that you brought up there because um, it's all fascinating. But I think we kind of need to start with you both have mentioned the, the kind of longer history of resilience and resiliency. Is there any consensus on if it's resilience or resiliency? I guess it's a good place to start. I, Rob, you seem a little closer to FERC. What does FERC say about that? Uh, I'm just chuckling here as you mentioned that there, there, there was way too much time spent on just what the heck the word is. Um, I think most people use the term resilience, but either they, people use both. Okay. All right. So I'm not going to get dinged by FERC for, or, or anybody in the, in the know for saying one or the other. Yeah, you That's can get Okay. Uh, no, so but you both talked about kind of this longer history of it, and it, it was mentioned in, in your first college course, and it dates back to the 90s, and and so I guess I'm I'm trying to understand why why we're talking about it so much. And Ryan, I think I'll let you lead off with with why it's important in in 2019. I do believe the concept of resilience is important, uh, not only for the electric grid, but all of the other critical infrastructures that that feed our electric grid. Primarily for, for one reason. It gives us a kind of a construct or a perspective that allows us to evaluate these systems with a, with a, a farther future-looking perspective so that we're considering the potential, potential new threats and hazards to our infrastructure. Uh, where currently maybe some of the, the more traditional uh, reliability standards and, and survivability metrics tend to be uh, looking a little bit backwards what has happened and how have the systems performed. But resilience really gets to the, the point of how do we take these systems, look at any potential new threats or changes in hazard intensities, and evaluate how those systems might operate under those conditions. Uh, that allows us to understand mitigations and and um, policies and practices that we could put in place, as well as in infrastructure improvements to increase their performance during a disruptive event. The initial reaction there is that you you discussed a couple things. One was this the backwards versus forward looking thing, and and I definitely know that that Rob has some thoughts there. Um, and I, I'm sure that he also has some thoughts on 
kind of why this is getting so much attention in, in 2019. And, and so, Rob, if you could hit both of those points, I think uh, I'll, I'll let you articulate it because I think you'll do a little bit better job than I would. Uh, sure. Let me describe a couple uh, strains that came together over the last couple of years. Uh, first, uh, rewinding back to sort of 2015, 2016, I know here in the Northeast, we had Hurricane Sandy, and there were other hurricanes, and of course there have been wildfires and other things happening lately. Um, so a number of states were looking at resilience and hardening their systems uh, due to mainly severe weather that seemed to be increasing in frequency and severity. Uh, and the Obama administration, uh, in fact, the White House itself wrote a whole report on electric system resilience and so there was a lot of attention being paid in, in, in from their perspective, it was all part of sort of climate um, resilience and adaptation. Uh, and then, of course, there was a political change here in Washington. And uh, for it seemed to be different reasons, namely uh, an interest in certain uh, so-called baseload power plants and keeping certain resources around. The Department of Energy issued uh, some reports, including a uh, rulemaking that it put in front of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, FERC, uh, saying that certain power plants should be protected for resilience reasons. So that became a FERC proceeding. There's an open proceeding still at the commission as we sit here in the towards the second half of 2019. Uh, and that, of course, got a lot of attention. Um, so those were sort of two different strains. And of course, all the while, you know, cyber attacks keep keep increasing. So there's a there's a few things kind of going on that that end up getting put into this common resilience bucket. But it, it is good to unpack it as we're doing here today, because they, these are all different issues. And at least in my opinion, some of them are, are more legitimate and worth our time and attention than, than others. Uh, that's definitely fair. And we're not going to try to get into into all of you know the qualitative assessment of what's worth our time and attention because that can get a little a little messy, right? Who knows if that's even worth its, its time and attention itself? But I, I want to go back, keep going back to this this idea of why 2019. And and Ryan, I know you've you've been up to a bunch of work with the all hazards analysis and, and the kind of aha work. I'm wondering if there's some sort of modeling capability that's kind of been building. Um, more recently, such that there's more capability uh, to really unpack this this kind of future-looking um, worldview. With that, it, yeah, I, 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 there has been a, actually quite a bit of effort to model and and understand the the not even the the future integration of new technologies, but how those technologies might. Uh, respond under certain adverse events. So with the all hazards analysis framework, we're really looking at a functional approach to infrastructure, uh, really trying to understand uh, how these interrelated uh, infrastructures operate together. And in so doing that, we brought in our aperture to understand that as we become a mo more highly connected or we move to more just in time uh, type of supply chain markets, 
those tools will allow us to assess not only how um, the infrastructure is intended to operate, but where those failures or, or maybe vulnerabilities in the systems exist uh, that we can focus on creating mitigation efforts um, or mitigation solutions to, to solve those before they, they become a problem in the future. Now, has some of this already been going on at the transmission level? From a, a modeling and simulation standpoint in the, the bulk power system, yes, uh, we've been modeling and trying to understand how this infrastructure systems would respond to outages through con doing things like contingency analysis, which would, allows you to take one, one piece of equipment out of the, the solution and seeing how the grid would perform. Uh, but it tends to be a lot on the, the engineering side, and so looking at very specific uh, scenarios. and as we've we've had events like Katrina, um, large hurricanes, there's been more and more effort to understand how these more widespread events could impact the operation of the electric grid. Yeah, no, that's that's tremendously helpful there for me. You know, you're speaking to a, to an engineer at an engineering firm, and so I'm I'm sitting there thinking, you know, a lot of what you're describing sounds pretty similar to the the traditional uh, transmission capacity expansion, but it's important to note that differentiation between kind of the one-off N-1 analysis and what we're talking about with tackling uh, resiliency. And so, Rob, I'm wondering if you have any perspective on how we plan for these kind of larger vulnerabilities and attacks that are more under the umbrella of, of resiliency than, than reliability. Yeah, from a policy perspective, I think it's important to clarify that with regard to the bulk power system, resilience is already covered under the general label of reliability. Uh, that's what NERC said in that FERC proceeding, um, the open FERC proceeding on resilience. Uh, and NERC clarified, uh, NERC being the reliability authority for the electric power system, um, like they clarify that many of their standards and reports and activities relate to uh, protecting against and quickly recovering from impacts to the bulk power system. And so those, are, you know, that's typically what people define as resilience. Um, so, so, Rob, I guess one question that I do have is as we think through resiliency in the future and, and the FERC proceeding continues, what sort of policy things should we be on the lookout for? What would you like to see come out of that FERC proceeding and kind of where, from a policy perspective, might might resiliency be moving towards? Yeah, well, I mean, Congress ultimately is the, the entity that decides which uh, agencies do what and which uh, organizations have authorities in this area. In the legislation 15 years ago, setting up the electric reliability organization uh, which uh, became NERC um, you know that legislation has all kinds of language about reliability the word resilience doesn't show up in that uh, law and so you know I think we want NERC and FERC to be able to take actions related to resilience uh, if um, you know if there's something that that needs to be done or a new standard uh, so, you know, that's how they have defined the term reliability to include not only, you know, things that happen before an outage, but, uh, but shortly after in terms of the recovery period. So from that standpoint, resilience 
activities are are part of reliability. And then, you know, another way to look at it is people's uh, typical definition of resilience relating to high impact, low frequency events. Well, I mean, that's kind of the same as reliability too. We're looking at N minus one or, you know, largest single contingency planning for electric power systems uh, at the utility level and regional level. You know, that those are almost by definition, high impact, low frequency events. Um, so then I think a, an important question for this whole discussion is, What's new? What, if anything, is really new here? And to me, it gets back to the identification of certain threats that are increasing that traditional utility planning didn't have to deal with. And I I think we've got a few. Um, uh, Some of them are severe weather related, which plays out differently in different regions, whether it's wildfires, um, incapacitating transmission lines in the west or whether it's uh, hurricanes in the in the east um, there are different uh, weather related threats and then there's also cyber and physical attack as uh, two separate completely different types of threats that are increasing in uh, in magnitude that utility planners didn't have to deal with quite so much in the past not not that they didn't exist but but they are new and expanding. So, you know, from uh, making sure we have whatever you want to call it, reliable, resilient power, uh, just making sure consumers get the service that they that they want. You know, we need to we need to plan and develop more tools to deal with these new and increasing threats. No, I I totally agree with you, and and it just sounds like traditional utility planning was such an easy thing in in the context of you know, you didn't have to deal with fires, hurricanes, cyber attacks. Maybe if you're in Hawaii, you don't have to deal with a, a volcanic eruption. Um, there's just a ton of different things that utility planners have on their minds that, um, you know, maybe they weren't really expected to to control against in the past, right? So uh, this this idea that, you know, you always have to have power is an increasingly important idea. Um, so I'm wondering kind of more more specifically given all these things bouncing around how do we prioritize um you know which which way to go first what to plan for first and and ryan i'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that such that we're not paralyzed overthinking all these issues uh certainly um up front, I guess, is what we need to do is really define how these physical systems are interconnected with each other. In the past, we may be focused entirely on a, a single system, uh, but not really how they're they're interacting with each other. And so in order to, to truly be able to prioritize uh, mitigation investments or resiliency investments, we need to understand how not only the, the infrastructure are... Um, are interrelated and what the impacts of these new hazards and threats that that Rob spoke about um, are going to impact those systems, but also how we need to look at the planning piece of this. So if if a utility is looking to become carbon neutral or carbon free by a certain date um, and they're looking at renewable integration or or more hydro, uh, what is the real impact if if other utilities within the same region make the, those same decisions. And so it's really, it's trying to understand 
uh, as we've become more integrated and connected, how decisions in at one point may propagate or cascade through uh, through other infrastructures that did not have the same uh, planning factors. Uh, so if if one utility makes a decision and then next thing we know we have natural gas. Uh, integration across the system at, at a large level, what does that really mean for the stability and resilience of the grid? So we need to, we need to step back, uh, widen our aperture when we're trying to determine what these, these investments are. So we need, you know, new modeling and, and simulation tools, and we're hoping AHA might be in that tool set as we, we go forward. But to uh, look more holistically across across our our energy infrastructure and and what that energy infrastructure uh, supports. Yeah, that that kind of bleeds into the last topic that I wanted to discuss here, right? It, and that was the idea of what's next. And and so, Ryan, it sounds like for you, what's next is a greater ability to simulate this interdependent uh, electric grid and interdependent really system that our modern economy is, is built around. Um, is that for you the gating factor or are there, are there other things we need to be tackling in the next, uh, the next couple of years? Yeah. Well, I, I do think it is one um, to be able to, to truly understand how these, these systems are interconnected. So we do understand, again, as, as Rob mentioned, you know, we have a changing climate. So, you know, water, water is an important input to power generation. Fuels are uh, there's there's a lot that we need to bring to the table and consider. Um, so interdependencies is a critical critical piece to that, but is it the only only piece? I I I, I don't believe so. We need to understand how uh, battery systems and and other uh, types of technology will integrate and how that might might change the the operation or the dynamics of the grid. Um, but for me and and for the path with with our our uh, aha methodology it, it really is trying to understand how we have a how this broader context of interdependencies uh, might provide a solution or or at least inform the discussion yeah absolutely i'm sure rob has his own perspective and i'm gonna, I'm gonna let him go in a second but, but kind of my what's what's next um what do we need is we really need a way to to measure this stuff because I think a way, you know, if you want to justify an investment in something, you need to say that it's it's going to improve your overall capability, right? I'm I'm not going to go buy a, a a car, a new car, if it's not going to improve some sort of my life, right? And I think that with resiliency planning, they, in the grid and and kind of decision makers at all levels need to be, need a way to justify investments. Um, and, and that all traces back to a way to measure your resiliency capabilities. Um, so, Ryan, is that something that was, is within the AHA scope, or is that uh, just on more more on Rob's kind of policy work uh, world? So, uh, I guess I'm happy to say that I, I think it is in in AHA scope. We are, we are integrating and testing and trying to develop new resiliency metrics. Um, that allow allow you to basically assess the uh, resiliency gain or the reliability gain by integrating a certain technology or mitigation, uh, and and how to understand 
what the what those benefits might be in the context of the the broader picture. So um, we're looking at regional resiliency metrics as well as system metrics. So if you have a really uh, low resiliency in the water system, but a high resiliency in the the electrical system, is that the is that the same? If they're feeding a lot of the generation capacity, so we're trying to develop those. Uh, hopefully, in the the uh, not uh, not too far future, we'll have uh, a capability that we can we can demonstrate and provide back to the community that will allow you to assess different uh, resiliency of investments. So, Rob, before I get, let you go too crazy on, on kind of what's next, um, what you would recommend as, as the coming factors, I'd, I'd like your thoughts on, on that resiliency metric discussion and kind of the, the more simulation-y type things, because I imagine that your what's next is going to be a little, a slightly different focus. Yeah, well, I, I agree with you both. We should sort of measure and catalog the threats, and I, I like what Ryan's saying about an all-hazards approach, kind of taking a neutral perspective on what can befall a, a, a power system. Uh, I also like the cross-sectoral analysis. There is quite a bit of that going on in some of the electric regions, particularly I would say New England with their issues of limited gas import capability. Uh, I think there's been assumptions in the past that all gas generators Reliability is is independent of each other, but you know if they're all dependent on the same pipeline or compressor station, you know that might not be the right assumption. And then what do you do about that? That's something that PJM and ISO New England are doing a lot of study about and potentially looking at their market designs. So that all hazards uh, approach and cross sectoral analysis, I think uh, there's there's more being done now in those areas than than in the past. And uh, I, I would also just focus, uh, in, in addition to the modeling that I appreciate the national labs and DOE are doing a fair amount of that, a lot of times the solution is very low tech. I mean, it's, it's amazing how much things like tree trimming show up as very high impact per customer dollar spent. You know, I know the, the two um, five-day outages I've lived through where, where I live, uh, one in the middle of summer and one of the middle of winter, both were not fun times. Uh, you know, it was tree, you know, tree branches taking distribution lines down. You know, that's that's usually what happens. So uh, a lot of times it's not really that policymakers need a, a lot of fancy new technology or modeling. Uh, those certainly can help. But there's also the good old fashioned, you know, protect the system from known threats that are out there and, and make sure, you know, the lines can withstand whatever whatever threats are posed there. Yeah, you can't, you, you can't protect against squirrels all that well or people hitting your poles with their cars. It seems like whenever I do a, a worst circuit analysis, those are the things that pop up. Pets right. and, and human, human attack. I wanted to pause for just a second because I'm going to put you on the spot. I'm going to ask about any policy recommendations for, for kind of things for us to, to be on the lookout for, um, particularly within that FERC proceeding. Yeah, and the FERC so, proceeding, I, I think uh, FERC should, um, you know, keep, keep looking at resilience and reliability. Again, it is important given the increasing threats we have. Uh, there are some activities, I, I would say, in transmission planning that could be helpful uh, transmission ends up being very beneficial if there's any you know, shortfall for whatever reason in one region. 
time and again, transmission saves the day by delivering power from another region. Um, but, you know, that scenario, um, especially sort of taking into account probabilistically those scenarios um, in the transmission planning process could be very um, useful to make sure we have the robust enough grid that we need for those situations. Uh, so those are some positive things, I think, that could be done by uh, by FERC. Um, I think there also are some potential negative things that I hope we avoid. Uh, many of the issues around protecting certain uh, generation resources, especially when those generation resources that were identified by the Department of Energy were the older and less flexible, um, i.e. less dispatchable uh, resources that really aren't uh, all that helpful for reliability, you know, for just protecting those resources, that seems unwise and not a good use of customer dollars. It'd be better to uh, just define the reliability services we need and have competitive procurement uh, for all those resources and let any and all resources, whether they're new or old, uh, on the system compete on a, on a fair technology neutral basis for those services. Yeah, absolutely. Technology neutral is, is the way to go. It's the, it's the future. And uh, hopefully our, our artificial intelligence uh, future overlords uh, appreciate our, our stance on a technology neutral future. So guys, I want to thank you very much for, for, for joining me today. And thanks to our listeners for, for tuning in. Great. Thanks, Sean. It's been fun. Yep. Thank you, Sean. The topic of resiliency has been around for many years, not going away anytime soon. Being tackled in island grids as Puerto Rico attempts to rebuild itself and Hawaii thinks through how to take the lessons learned from Hurricane Maria and plan for the future of their integrated grid. Being tackled at the national level as FERC thinks through their resiliency proceeding. And our guest today gave us a ton to consider, whether it's defining the threats and terminology or it's defining the needs of simulation and the metrics for success. But one thing is for sure, this is a complicated intertwined challenge. It's gonna take a conscientious and deliberate solutions approach to solve. And for concise and actionable intelligence on this topic of resiliency, we invite you to visit nnx.com backslash the energy exchange. We've got some great materials up there, whether it's this podcast or a brief on the topic, or you know, we've got a framework that's coming out around uh, metrics that could potentially be used. You can also visit the IEEE Smart Grid community to find uh, an upcoming webinar on, on the topic. And they've had some past webinars on the topic that are, that are really quite good. Uh, and stay tuned for upcoming episodes of season two as we explore today's most relevant grid modernization topics. I know we've got an episode coming up on cybersecurity, on electric vehicles. There's a ton of great stuff coming. Hit subscribe. Thank you for listening. For more on this and other relevant grid modernization topics, visit internex.com backslash the energy exchange. Internex, a Chessy company, is an electric power engineering consulting and research firm focused on advancing a cleaner, smarter energy system of the future. <laughs>